You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome, Philly. To your favorite sports show, hosted by Jesse Town and Sam Wilson. They're smart, they're sexy, and they're all Philly. So thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy the show. Welcome into Babes on Broad, episode number 58. I'm Sam Wilson with my co-host, Jesse Town, and we are the Babes on Broad, brought to you by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. But now it's time for some group therapy with a very special guest of ours, brother of the man who scored the Super Bowl 52 go-ahead touchdown, Nick Ertz. Nick, welcome into Babes on Broad. Hey, guys. Thank you for having me. Of course. I feel like you and your family are our family now in Philadelphia. It's kind of how it works here. It's uh, it takes a while to actually be considered family. You got to do it right, but when you do a lot right, it finally you finally get to that point. Absolutely. So so there is a lot to unpack. Obviously, after this season that the Eagles just had, I mean, three years removed from the Super Bowl, never thought that you know when we were sitting in 2017, we'd be sitting here in 2020, now 2021, wondering where the heck this organization is going, but. I mean, it's gotten worse every year since 2017. So what are just some of your initial thoughts on how this season went and, you know, your thoughts at the end of this 4-11-1 season by the Eagles? Awful. Like, it's it's dramatic, but, like, it's – we kind of – I feel like there was a preface to this. Like, the past three years since 2017 have kind of gone downhill. Slowly, but surely, they have gone the opposite direction as to what you would prefer. So – um, it's it's not a huge surprise, but at the same time, from a personnel standpoint, if they were all healthy, I don't think it would have gone this way. But mm-hmm. injuries happen; they just happen more in Philadelphia than they do other places, unfortunately. But it, and I can't think of besides Jordan Mailata and Alex Singleton. I don't think I look at anyone and say, "Well, I'm glad they're like you know we saw or not glad we saw some sort of positivity out of a player." Those just seem to be the only two where you're like. We found something, but besides that, we're, I mean, I guess Nate Herbig didn't do all that uh, terrible. Jack Driscoll looked, they're both young. I mean, they have some, they're good with the offensive and defensive line. Josh Sweat looked fantastic when he was playing. Derek Barnett still can bend better than almost any defensive end there is. When he's healthy, um, he's fantastic. I'm sure someone will love to pay Derek Barnett this offseason. But besides the lines, it's hard to look at anything positive. Yeah, no, and exactly. Going along with that, you mentioned the injuries and obviously the people you said, the reason that had to change so much was because of injuries. So even where they were performing well, got hindered in some way. 
But in your opinion, besides injuries, how did this all happen? Because everything that has been added that has led to this decline since 2017, it really just makes that 2017 season look like it was lightning in a bottle. And it wasn't the best team in the league, but they were the best the best culture in the league. And that's what really ultimately gave them that success. But in your opinion, how did all this happen with this decline? I think in the most cliche way, like the underdog mentality was lost. Uh, I think when you are gearing, for, I, I, I don't, I think egos are brewed after you win something uh, or after you've proved something, whether it's in sports or in regular life, once you've kind of hit someplace that people are recognizing you for your talent and your skill, um, an ego follows. And I think that's the killer in life in general. And I think that uh, creeped in in a massive way throughout the organization after they won the Super Bowl. So everyone kind of thought, no, I was the reason why we got here. I was the reason why we got here. And it turned out that it kind of seems like no one in the building and the people that left were the reason why they got there. Um, I was afraid the same way that you were, uh, Sam. I was afraid that they just got the best out of every single person in their career in that year. Um, because they didn't have the people that you would understand as like, the, you know, the roster go in wasn't like they're going to win this thing. Um, right. And, you know, so I think it's kind of proof since then that they are kind of average or a little above average. Um, but I think the ego is the biggest problem for a lot of my, I mean, of course I have a little bit more insight to what goes on, but, um, and then in addition, it's like, they haven't fixed the problems that they've had. Anything that like the glaring issues haven't been fixed. Uh, Darius Slay was a glaring issue that came in and he played. I mean, he had his moments um, of bad, but he was very solid. So they they finally succeeded in like filling a spot that they've been working on for about a decade. But the issues that they had in 2018 of no wide receiver that could get open is the same thing that's persisted ever since. Um and Zach would not sit here and say he had a great year by any means. Trust me. I've talked to him enough to he's like very disappointed in how everything went, whether it's outside the field with like the contract stuff or just on the field. He's not happy with how it went. But your tight end can't be your leading receiver four years in a row and be successful in a passing league. That's just not how it works. Um, so. No, 100 yeah. percent. And just to go along with that, like. We'll get into have the Howie situation a little bit later, but you're right about that ego because we saw that you and you already said it. It kind of seemed like in that 2017 year, he brought in older guys and everybody just hit at the same time. They kind of just got it clicking and it gave Howie essentially in the front office that ego that made them think they could do it year after year after year, not realizing that they just got lucky on everybody hitting really, you know? Yeah. My biggest take at this point, and, and I've made no secret about this anywhere, is how I blame Howie for every single problem the Philadelphia Eagles We have. both. <laughs> he, he is my biggest issue, and it's my oh. biggest gripe with him. And, um, you know, I, I think you're, you're absolutely right. And I think, you know, we've seen Howie's ego grow over the last few years, whether it be, you know, just going against every single person, every single draft scout they have and, and taking Jalen Rager instead of Justin Jefferson um, or, you know, obviously drafting Jalen Hurts instead of instead of Jeremy Chin or, or someone else that was there at that point. Um, but I, I think that it, Sam is exactly right. Culture is exactly what kind of got them there. And now because they are where they are, that culture really has has dissipated and we're not going to see that same strength from within. And obviously, if. You know, Howie Roseman's not in danger of losing his job at all. You have to assume that the ego even goes higher than that. And that's kind of where all this sort of trickles down from. But like we sit here as Eagles fans because 
we were we were born into it. Like we have a commitment from a born and raised Philadelphia sports fan perspective. Like we didn't choose to be here. It chose us. <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> unfortunately, fortunately, unfortunately, however you want to look at it. Un- you know, we, we are here because this is how we were raised to be. Um, but obviously, you know, y- your connection to the Eagles is a little bit different, but it's it's an emotional attachment in a different sort of way. But to the team as a whole, I mean, you know, you and I talked about when you, when you're watching the offense, like you're you're watching 86, and you're not really seeing much else of what's going on. But you know, what did you see as some of the biggest issues from the Eagles this season? You know, purely from a purely from a football perspective. I know you mentioned obviously, you know, the holes haven't been addressed, and and we've talked about that repeatedly. But you know, from a football perspective on the field, what are some of your biggest issues with the Eagles right now? Uh, I mean, it's a, there's a litany of them. We go four and 11 and one, there's obviously like a number of issues and it's becomes a subjective thing. Like where is the most glaring issue? Um, and I will say, I'll preface it with this as well. Like don't be too quick to judge in the league, whether it's Doug Peterson's one year and then after he fell off or a Nelson Aguilar or Jalen Rager, like, or a Justin Jefferson, for example. Trust me, I've watched Justin Jefferson enough that he's going to be a monster for years to come. Like, there is no doubt. That wasn't like a, a one-off. Um, I'm forgetting there was a tight end for the Browns like three or four years ago who was, had a, over a 1,000-yard season for the first time. And before that, he had like 500 years combined in nine years. Um, and I can't remember his name. Edgar? No, it was uh, – Oh, no, it was – It was on the Browns. Oh, my God. It was yeah because but it was it was around the same time as Eifert. It was like they were interchangeable because the teams are so bad and they're in Ohio. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I'll, I'll figure it out while you keep talking. I'll, I'll I'll get on it. But my point is like we're so quick to judge in this league whether it's good or bad, and like we have to give it a broad scope of like maybe Doug Peterson really wasn't what he was. Um, there's a scheme issue for sure. I mean, you can't uh, guys not getting open is not always the like again. There is a self-responsibility to get open to some degree. But if all your receivers can't get open for like three years, and I think there's an issue. Um, and people started touching on that season, that historic season in Kansas City, where not a single wide receiver had a touchdown. I don't think that's like, shouldn't be t- discussed. Uh, I think there's a reason for that. And Doug Peterson was the OC during that time. So it should be a huge surprise. So I think it's, I do agree that Justin Jefferson wouldn't put up this gaudy numbers elsewhere or sorry, in Philadelphia, he might have done better than what we had. But still, I, I that the fact that we're even discussing that he might not do as well here is the point. Um, that wide receivers not getting open, and then your two quarterbacks that you played having the two worst completion percentage ratings throughout the season is step number one to fixing an, a team in general in the year of 2020, 2021 to also help your defense not be on the field so often. Um, how many three and outs? I mean, the fact that we've seen this, like the schemed plays for every first quarter of the past three years be awful is a huge problem. And no one seems to care about that. Like it's all about momentum in sports. And if you suck the first quarter, everyone's like, Oh crap, all this again. Like, how do you expect everyone to bounce back up? That to me is the biggest issue. Your first quarter sucking is the biggest issue in my opinion. No, 100% on that. Like, the whole entire season, I feel like Jess and I literally have called better play schemes to start a game than Doug Peterson. And it's just, like, it's so obvious in the fact that, like, I don't know if he's overthinking it or if he doesn't see it, which would be very concerning. But it's just – it seems like that should be the answer. But 
for for whatever reason, I don't know. And I agree 100%, especially in Philadelphia. Everybody's so quick to judge. And I made that point actually in our rant show yesterday that Doug Peterson, maybe we did. I mean, he was a Super Bowl winning coach, obviously, but maybe we were too quick to judge. You had a great point. He was in Kansas City a year that they none of their wide receivers did anything. And he was their offensive coordinator, which is glaring. And I never even put that together. But um, moving on. So you said earlier that obviously Zach knows this wasn't his best year and he's already on himself for that. But it's no secret that he had off the field issues with this front office being his contract year. And as much as you know him and you've talked to him. So do you think or know that Zach had the contract kind of in his head throughout each game this season? Do you think that kind of played into it? I don't think, I mean, look, like bias, of course, and I'm going to defend him. Um, I'm, I'm going to be honest at times, <laughs> like, but I, who am I? Like the guy is a, on a yeah. projection of going to the hall of fame with one little blip in the radar this year. So if he, you know, goes back to the normal Zach for the next half of his career, I do believe he has a chance to get there. Um, so who am I to say like what's good and bad, but I will say, um, he admitted that after the during the first game. I mean, he and how he came onto the field like 15 minutes before the Washington game, talking to him yeah. uh, about the report that came out that they were they had like a quote unquote altercation during practice. To put it all out there, he dug Jeffrey Lurie and Howie after practice before their that Friday practice before the Washington game. They just had a normal conversation. Um, Zach had come out um, before you have media with the Philadelphia media the. Um, the media, the head of media for the Eagles, you know, gives them a script and says, this is what we're going to talk about. And they could have easily taken out the contract talk. This is a fact. I mean, they're allowed to just like you and I, just like you guys and myself, you guys sent me a little script and I could have said, no, I don't want to talk about this. Mm -hmm. Zach knew and the Eagles knew that these these discussions and questions about the contract were going to come up. And he was honest. Like, I, that's the thing is like you guys, he's he's been a very lack of drama and he just was telling the truth one time not that he was lying before but he was a little bit more in depth about the truth of what was going on and he let his heart out and let it be known that i love this place and i want to be here um and then they had a little conversation afterwards that they were unhappy about uh, that he told people that um and i think after the washington game he was kind of over it but it uh Besides that Bengals game, it seemed like there were so many balls that were going six feet to the right, six feet above at his at the. And I again, I discussed the momentum of teams. I also think about the momentum of a player. Like this team, more so than any I've ever watched closely in my life, seems to really like to take people out of the groove they're in. Um, <laughs> whether it be a running back or a receiver, they like to be like, "Oh, we haven't passed to Deshaun in three quarters. So let's throw it to him eighteen times in the fourth quarter." but not get him involved in the three quarters. Let's get Miles Sanders going at first and let's yep. forget about him for two quarters because we're down by a touchdown, but was still three. Like the, I don't know. I've never asked Zach that question. And so I don't know the answer, but he's a rhythm guy. He's not, yeah. he's not Rob Gronkowski. He's not George Kittle. He's not, you know, his, he's not running through people's. That's why Zach's going to play forever. I mean, this is why. <laughs> Very true. Zach will play forever because he's been smart. He doesn't want to fumble the ball. So he goes down a little more often than other people. He doesn't want to fight six. One of the times you see the fumbles the most when there's six people around and they're all punching the ball at once and they finally get it. So um, he'll play for a long time. And I, it's there. I think it was a culmination of so many things, but I, I don't think the contract talk was 
discussion was really going through his head. Um, they have enough money, and I know everyone likes to harp on that. He knows he has enough money to live happily for the rest of life. He's done a fantastic job and earned every penny. But it's the respect factor when yeah. George Kittle and Travis Kelsey are getting paid 15 to 14, so that's almost 50% more. And he doesn't think he's mm -hmm. the player of those guys. And I think everyone would agree, um, even after this horrible season all around, that he's still not only 50% of the player that those guys are. So I think he felt disrespected. Um, and again, four years in a row of every reception, important receiving statistic he let in. That is, as a tight end, that doesn't happen. And I think he was like, hey, guys, do you remember, remember me? Um, you're paying Alshon to, for $15 million or whatever it might be, and I'm getting half that, and I've been a little better over the years. <laughs> I think that's a really interesting way to look at it. And I've never thought about it that way. And I can guarantee you no one else has. The fact, the 50% of a player thing, that I think is a really good way to look at it because people want to argue who the best tight end in the league is, right? And and George Kittle, Travis Kelsey, like they're they're phenomenal, mm -hmm. right? And, you, and, and when you talk about the best tight ends in the league, obviously, you know, Zach didn't have a great year. He was also hurt. At, at one point in there and, and missed a few games. So he's in that conversation for, for the upper echelon of tight ends in the NFL. And regardless of who you want to, what order you want to rank them in, you're right. He's making 50% less and he's way better than 50% of the player of some of these guys. And I think that the respect factor is huge. And you, we've seen now some of the guys that, you know, everything that has been talked about loyalty, right? Loyalty since yeah. the Super Bowl, And that's something that, Howie has come out and said over these last two years, I need to stop being so nostalgic and, 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 you know, providing this loyalty to the guys from the Super Bowl. But the guys that got the loyalty from the Super Bowl were, again, Jason Peters, Hall of Famer. Absolutely, 150%, no questions asked. And, and I was on board bringing him back the next year after the Super Bowl because he didn't get to go out the way he wanted to, right? He played in every game. He came out of most games, but he played in every game. Fine. Bringing him back and paying him what you did this year – also, paying Alshon Jeffrey the amount that you did, and let's call a spade a spade, too. I love Deshaun Jackson. He's one of my favorite Eagles of all time. But Howie Roseman gave him a three-year $27 million, or three -year $27 million extension before he even played another snap for the Philadelphia Eagles, and he had been gone for almost 10 years. So the amount of money that's going to these guys and the, quote, loyalty and respect that they're getting, all of that loyalty should have been showed to – in my opinion, the two most important guys from the Super Bowl season, and that would be Zach Ertz and Malcolm Jenkins. And both of them have come out and talk about the lack of respect that they're being shown. And, you know, both of those guys have had restructured their contracts and, and done things in good faith. And I mean, you, you have to assume that when these guys restructure contracts like that, there's some sort of conversation of, all right, you do this now. And, and we'll make sure we take care of you going forward and we'll kind of make sure that this is all good to go going forward. And, you, I mean, you have to assume that. I'm, I'm not going to, you know, try to ask you and pry for information, but you have to assume that's, that's what goes on. And for a guy like Zach who has... I mean, last year he had a lacerated kidney and he came out there and, like, quite literally risked his life for this team that was, you know limped their way into into the playoffs just you know for for Carson to get knocked out the way he did like there was no reason for Zach to go through that knowing that Howie had already offered him less guaranteed money than Austin Hooper is making which is I mean that's ridiculous in itself and you know 
And and like you said, Zach's not the kind of guy who's going to be a me, 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 like drama. Let, let's focus on me. He he wanted to get it done before the season. He's not talking about it after. He's been very clear about that. And that's the kind of guy he is. So when you have all these other issues going on, you think that you'd want to reward a guy like that. And again, he he's not necessarily asking to be the highest paid tight end in the league, but there's there's no respect there. And on top of that, you know, there's been a lot of, contract dispute obviously but also you know his name's been thrown around and brought up in in trade talks which is another really I mean for, for it's a gut punch for me as an Eagles fan to be like this is the guy really like this is the guy you want to do I can only imagine how he feels so like and we know that he obviously and your family as well is very invested in this city and 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 its fan base like how do you guys as a family, you know, because I think that's a lot of things, something people really forget about is like these people are humans too. And I think one thing that we've seen right now is something I've said is Howie Roseman is using these players as pawns in his little game. And like, how do you guys feel and how does this kind of operate for you guys? And what's your take on it? Watching this kind of happen to, you know, someone you're obviously very, very close to. It's sad. It's like, that's like the only thing you can think of. Like it's, like you said, I'll like I'll go back, and this might take a while, so bear with me. Um, All the get, time in the world, you get in cap hell, quote unquote cap hell, because you keep restructuring people and pushing back the money. That's how it works, right? Mm-hmm. So, like you said, Zach had done it twice. Lane Johnson was doing it. A bunch of guys have been doing it, which is why you get to the point of negative seventy-one million in cap space. Um, throughout that process, the, these guys are they're not losing money, but they're not getting the money that they were expecting for that year. So the goal is to for the GM for the, to then say, okay, we'll take care of you later, by the way. Like, and you just accept that and you trust them. Um, that didn't end up happening. I mean, that's it's obvious. It happens all around the league. This is Zach's not a Zach's not a an anomaly. That's how it kind of works, and you have to trust them. And if it doesn't work out, Zach's not like sitting here like I hate Howie Roseman. Um Actually, after this year, I'm sure he's a little bit more happy that he didn't resign because the it seems so glaring that it's not gonna they're not gonna be back for a while, and mm-hmm. he just wants to win. He's not yeah. like he yeah. wants the stats, but he wants to win. Um, from a family perspective, like I said, it's it's sad, um, it's disheartening. Uh, it's there. There's so many variables that come into play. Like these people are people. I I've been I've had the uh, the um, I've been grateful for like, I spent a summer here while I was in college in Philadelphia and every weekend Zach and I would go to New Jersey and go to Carson's place. And it was like, you know, Hicks and Burton and Foles and Nelson and some of the receiver. And we were all just, Hey, this was before the Super Bowl year. So you can tell there was a lot of camaraderie between the offense. The kickers were there. I mean, they were all just at Carson's house. We're playing basketball. Like, and it's just little old me who's trying to go be a lawyer, like hanging out with these guys. They're (laughs) fantastic people. And you realize like they're, you, you kind of like, I've never thought like, sorry, I've never thought a celebrity was cool besides Kobe Bryant. Like that's the only one I know. I'd be like, Ooh, like that's a, like we grew up watching Kobe. We're from California, born in Southern California. And that was just like our guy. But besides that, they, they, they're just so human. And that's what people forget. Like they are every interest, like political interest, like they're actually allowed to be interested in them. And they are like, we all have jobs and guess what? We spend some of our time on the side searching other things because we have hobbies. And they're like, these guys have, and it's like, we get mad at them for like wanting to go out and party, for example. It's like, people, they're kids. They're like 21, 22 years old. And they come to a new city with no one, no family. And they just get destroyed, especially here. I mean, 
I remember Zach after that Bengals game in Carson's rookie year in 2016, he decided not to block Vontez perfect. And I swear, I w- I, the amount of times you want to tweet at these people and be like, they're human. This is like, he's 20, I'm 24, right? I'm turning yeah. 25 soon. It's like, I still have no idea what's going on in the world. And like, no one's watching me do it. So luckily I don't have to have like a million people. And I, I know that's part of the process, but it still doesn't normalize that. Right. And it becomes a sad thing because I know like, when, again, I was, when I was here for that summer and I kid you not, this guy, this guy never drinks. This is a lot of insider information you guys are getting me. This guy never drinks. He never parties. He just is so focused on like waking up at 30, at 40 years old, 45 with his kids and Julie and thinking, I have no regrets about how my career went. He, and he embodies that. Like, trust me, he went out one time one single time when I was here for the summer and he got back at 3 a.m. and he still stretched for an hour and a half. I had to go, I stayed at his, I stayed at his house and he was, he always stretched. We would play 2k every night. I'd get back from work and we'd play 2k for like a couple, like an hour and a half. It depend, I was a bus boy at night too. So it depended on what time I got home and we play. And one Saturday he just calls me after I was asleep and he's like, he came to the door. I was like, sure. And he, I, he literally got down in the middle of the floor and started doing his stretching routine at three in the morning till four 30. And I kid you not to four 30. I was like, I want to watch this because why wouldn't you take advantage of like watching someone who really like people talk about effort and like motivation and a mentality. Like that was the embodiment of it. And when you see that and then where it's come to this year, you're just so sad. You're like, yeah. This guy and he deserve and he deserves everything he asks for. He doesn't like you said. Isn't there's no drama, but it's just sad. It's just sad. He's I don't know. I I get a little sad because he's not a very emotional person. So when you don't have an emotional person, he's very robotic. Like I've been teasing him my whole life. Um, he actually did text me. He's like, I'm getting soft now as I get older. <laughs> and I think we all do. Like we all kind of loosen up a little bit and understand that life is not as serious as we take it. But he spent the first eight years, seven years of his career, and he's a robot. No emotion, straightforward, doesn't understand why there's problems. Like, it's just like, I'm going to horse blinders 100%. And that, that part makes it sad. That is so sad. And that's why all the things you mentioned is why Zach is already so great and why he's going to go on to have that great career that you said he's going to play forever. And you're exactly right. And one thing going off about it, it's so sad to see all this happening to Zach. And then also, it's no secret, him and Carson Wentz have been extremely close since the beginning of their careers in Philadelphia. So does it strike you to not only see this lack of respect for your brother, Zach, but then also another great guy who he's super close with? And the same thing essentially happening to him, not over the contract, but just the lack of respect from the front office. Yeah, it's like... It's so bad. I mean, it's so ugly. Like, I'm not going to say too much. Like, obviously, Zach's 90% not going to be here. But Zach, again, has no malice towards what's going on. He understands that you're in negative 71%, like 71 million. Like, it got to this point, and that's what he's sad about. But now that it's going to end, he's, like, accepted. Like, this is just what happens. But I, I – and, again, this is the, psych, the psychology of a human being, but of a professional athlete that literally has so much – so many eyes on him. This guy came from North Dakota with no eyes on him. And all they've kind of done – and the, the Foles thing has got to be killer. Um, I think he's over it. I think people yeah. way too much of a dramatic thing at this point. There's no way the guy's, like, 
staying up at night having nightmares about Nick Foles and a statue. Like everyone needs to get over that. But the second round pick thing, I think, had to play a role. Mm-hmm. I, I don't like. I went off the other day um, on someone. I tweeted one. I tweeted one time about Zach. Right, like in eight years, we're very quiet. <laughs> yeah. My mom loves doing foundation stuff as she should. She runs it for them while they're in season. But I never say anything. So, I, and I just knew he was so sad because he texted me. We were texting back and forth on Saturday. He's like, I'm just so, I just can't believe, quote unquote, I can't believe it got to this point. And so, like, I was like, I'm going to, I never, I don't have any social media. That's literally Twitter's the only thing I have. I was like, I'm just going to tweet something real quick. And when people took this like respect thing out of context, I was like, I get you guys appreciate him. Um, some of you guys do. The loudest people happen to be the ones on Twitter saying, trade him, trade him. Yeah. Yeah. yeah unfortunately. This is the appreciation for everyone that does listen to this. This is what I mainly meant in terms of appreciation as an outsider. Zach has not said any of this to me, but Zach went four years working his butt off, trying to get playing time over the beloved and amazingly good human Brent Selleck. We've like, we've been able to meet him on obviously many occasions. He actually helped my mom move into this home. Like he's amazing. (laughs) He finally, got into the starting role, goes to the Pro Bowl in the fifth year, has a great year, uh, Vikings game, 90-plus yards, Super Bowl, a lot of key plays. And the first thing the Eagles did, and I get it, 12 personnel, but the first thing the Eagles did was in the second round, go draft Dallas Goddard. And I just I, – I think every time he's done something that was kind of out of this world, no one's really cared. And just like – been like, yeah, and then drafted Dallas Goddard. And – the whole mentality, it seemed like, and if you read some some people that have a little bit more insider information than I do, is they're like, we're going to just do 12 personnel, and I get that. But Zach's not Brent at the age, and Zach is Brent is not Zach by any means as the player anyway. Like I, Brent's great, but mm-hmm. Zach and Brent aren't on the same level um, yeah. in their playing career. So I think he found that a little bit of a disrespectful movie. He's like, and that was the thing. Why would you draft a tight end in the second round to sit behind me? That's what he kind of thought. Like. Why would you draft a special teams guy in the second round? So the same thing goes for this year. Why would you draft a second round quarterback when your team's all – they made more sense in 2018 when you just won the Super Bowl and you want to run 12 personnel and Brent's gone and Trey's gone. But this year, well, like what, the – it just seemed like they were in 50-50. 50% like we're rebuilding and 50% were like we're going for it. And you can't do that. So I think Carson must have just felt like where are, the, where are you guys taking me? Yeah. No, hundred percent. Yeah. And that's what um, we brought it up before. Dan Orlovsky has come out and said, when you're walking out there as a quarterback, you have a different mentality than every single person there. And you need to walk on that field and say, this is my effing team. Like you have to know that. And this organization has never given that to Carson. If you think about it, like never. And then now there's reports coming out saying that Zach's Howie Roseman is asking Zach out of all people right. to help mend his relationship with his best friend, Carson Wentz. Like, and again, that's been my opinion this whole time. Every like, so Schefter admitted that his report was just, he was, he was his was speculation of Carson wanting out at the end of the year. Then Chris Mortensen was, you know, very adamant that he had a team source. And I don't know if you've ever spoken with Rob Motti, um, who covers oh, yeah. the, or, yeah, you know, we got a church together before the pandemic. Yeah, yes. yeah. So, so Rob and I worked together. I was on Rob's show last year um, when we did it at a, a bar in New Jersey that we would have done it again this year had obviously things been been normal. But 
you know, Rob is obviously, you know, he, he knows, he knows Carson fairly well. He is, you know, respected by Carson and, and, you know, has, has some connections with, with Carson and, and his agent, things like that. And Rob was like, it had put, you know, put out an article the other day and said, listen, like Carson's a, a, a very similar to Zach. Like he's not a distraction guy. He's not a me, me, me guy. He's not going to be doing this regardless of the Eagles are playing a quote meaningless game. And they're completely out of the playoff conversation. He's not going to, be doing things that are going to cause distractions for this team. That's not who he is. It's not what he does. And if he's going to have an agent, he's going to have an agent that's similar to that and respects that about him. Like anybody he brings around is going to do the same. Well, then who's left? Who's left in that conversation? My, in my opinion, my conspiracy theory of the week is, I mean, Howie Roseman is, is the leak here. Like he's the one who is the team source that he can basically say, you know, he, he screwed up the draft. He's the reason this team is the, the the way it is. So if he can make it look like, oh, well, we wanted to save the relationship. We wanted to keep Carson here, but Carson wanted out. So we just, we just give him what he wants. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. It's so, disgusting that it even goes like that. Oh, it's infuriating. If oh. I, I and I've said if if I wasn't again born into this, I would be so far out right now because I'm infuriated with the the way that they're this this like little man complex that Howie Roseman has all of a sudden developed. It it, it infuriates me. But so okay, my my last question for you is: You're the owner of this franchise. You're you, you run it. You make the decisions. How do you fix it? How do you fix four eleven and one? I would never in my I w- there wouldn't be a thought of firing every coach, regardless of the responsibility factor. I would just change clean it all. House. Clean house, clean it all. It's just a new mentality. Just if you guys are going to go a new quarterback way, why don't you change the whole front office and head co- and coaching staff? Like, Great point. If you are going to do that, um, if you don't need a rela- a prior relationship with these guys, if you don't like, if none of that needs to exist to be successful, then just send everyone out and bring a new gang in and go from there. That's what I would do if I were an owner of a team. I, I would do that for – I'm not like a whole fan of tanking. Granted, like the last game, I don't want to get into the details because I don't even <laughs> tanking. I, was like, I don't really get it. Tanking is like multiple games you're like trying to lose so you get a better draft pick. Um, right. It was just like order. It's like – Anyway, I would, <laughs> I would change it all. I would get, and again, I, I it makes perfect sense not to bring Zach back. I think Zach would get more money than than Dallas will, especially with Dallas and his injury. Uh, and Dallas and Zach were at a little different level uh, after their third year going into their extension uh, discussions. I think Zach was a little bit ahead of the game, um, especially because he wasn't injured. Uh, so hopefully Dallas gets. And by the way, to everyone, we have no ill will towards Dallas. Like <laughs> we like we. We of course like when eighty eight catches the ball and we think it's eighty six. I'm a little disappointed because like <laughs> no, no, no. Um, but no, I hope we all hope him for the best, especially if he stays in Philadelphia. Um, that's going to be an interesting. That's a side note, but that's going to be an interesting extension talk with those guys just because of his injury history. Um, 
and the market of the tight ends going up. But I would clean house. I don't. I don't think I would. I don't think I would. I would get rid of. I wouldn't resign Zach. I wouldn't give him more money. I wouldn't. I would probably try to trade some older guys like a Malik Jackson elsewhere to dump some money. Um, I would dump as much of the old, the old age. Uh, the old age is really caught up to them. I would also, 100%. I, this is my conspiracy. I'd also go change the practice field turf and change it into like real grass. Cause there's got, or like, there's gotta be something in the water in that facility it's or with all the soft tissue. Yeah. But it's I got to think my only, my only conspiracy theory and I know nothing. My fiance is going to be a doctor and she, uh, this is maybe from her, <laughs> but I think, I literally think it's got to be the grass out there, like, or something. Because it's a great point. It's either that or the trainers. <laughs> yeah. And you keep changing the trainers. Yeah. Because he's never had an injury outside of like a concussion or like a freak accident, like his ribs against the Browns in 16 or against the Cowboys last year. Um, so I don't know. Is it like, cause he trains with, you know, his old trainer and, at Stanford in the off season. So is it just the guy in Stanford is really good and that's why he doesn't get injured? Well, I, I don't know. I, my guess is it's gotta be the, it's gotta be the grass. So that would actually be another step as an owner. <laughs> <laughs> when you say that you would clean house, is that including the GM? If yeah. You're the owner? yeah. Yeah. It, it needs to be. I just wanted to hear. And again, <laughs> it has, even if I thought, like, like I thought Jim Schwartz, I highly respect what he's done with what he's been given, to be honest. Like I know so I get frustrated like everyone does at certain times, but that's just life. People do things that frustrate you. Um, even that I would say, just get him out of here. Just so everyone kind of like a change of scenery is uh, magnificent. I flew, I grew up in California and flew out to Philadelphia to go to law school out here. Cause I actually loved the city. It was, it was new. I didn't know how great outside of California was. And I actually do love Philadelphia. I don't like the fans. I, hate the team now if Zach goes elsewhere like <laughs> like there's a special place in the earth's heart for Philadelphia always we'll be back yeah. Zach goes into the hall of fame for the Eagles um and everything and we'll all be like happy that Zach was able to accomplish what he did but after this year I don't really care if that's the if he's gone but yeah I would I would change the faces I would do all that just because why like why like the Falcons should have been the great example of like, you just kind of just keep going through the same crap because they went to the Super Bowl and they should have won. So we're like, we're just going to keep doing the same thing over and over again. Yeah, that's a good No, point. you're exactly right. Clean house is the best way, which sucks for us because unfortunately, since we are fans, we're stuck here for the yeah. rebuild. But um, so lastly, just to wrap this all up, we want to thank you. I'm sure the city agrees with us. Thank you and your family just so much for being in love with this city from the very beginning. I mean, you guys showed us the fan base, mutual love and respect. Zach and Julie began their foundation here. You and your mom have done so much for our friend Giovanni, and we can't thank you enough for that aside. But so just in your words real quick, like what do you think it was that really attracted you and all of your family to the city from day one? I think uh, that's a great question, Sam, honestly. Like, and to me, it's super easy Growing up in a single parent household in California where your mom is grinding all the time and you grow up in a we grew up in a like a very uh, up end neighborhood in California before my mom became the single parent she was. But that we were so not California after watching our mom do what she did, like four boys grinding nonstop like that. California is a very like. You know, we're all lackadaisical and moving around slowly and they, people are successful. I get it. But if you're not in, like 
here it's fast paced and community based. Like California is not that way. It's a, like me against you. And here it seemed a lot more of a community, whether good for good or for better or for worse um, at times for worse during bad Eagles games, but it's still like everyone's in it together here. It's a different vibe. Yeah, we band together. Coast. Um, even in New York, even in New Jersey, like the people really come together out here. And I think that's what really attracted all of us. I mean, again, I spent one summer here. I was like, I love this place. I never, I'm going to graduate back in California and come straight here. And that's exactly what I did. Uh, I just happened to bring someone along. So it, it's, it's just different. It's just the, I think the work at the blue collar work ethic is just what attracted us because that's what we ended up growing up in. We saw like the spoiled side of life for like the first part of our lives. And then the other side is not, is, uh, was a little different when my mom was doing what she was doing. I think that attracted us to be like, these, pe these people need us. And I think like everyone likes to be needed. And for the foundation purposes, they needed by us. I meant like Zach and Julie and their, um, using their platform. And then my mom, I mean, I, my, I live with my mom while I'm in school and trust me, this woman doesn't sleep. She does. She's just like nonstop 15 hours a day trying to feed the next person in the city of Philadelphia. So That's an incredible woman. She oh. is. She It's yeah. like, she was born, she was born to have a son who could provide a foundation that she could run. I mean, and to be a mom, those are the two things that God, put her on this planet to do and she's done a fantastic job so i think when and, and that attracts me to like you know you want to you want to help so badly when someone else that you are with every day wants to do the same exactly mm -hmm. really want to do the same um they constant julie's constantly doing research how where can we put our money next where can we like try to raise money for next so in california that's not as doable i mean there's places like oklahoma i mean oklahoma <laughs> <laughs> The place like Oakland and like Southern California and like the Compton area and stuff. But I think this place just found such a special, like there's so much work to be done here and there is so much work. And if you saw the interview with Zach, like that was what really got him crying in his interview. When he started to talk about like what they've been doing outside of yeah. football, the community, he's like yeah. in the changes and we're just getting started. And I think that's what makes my mom really sad. She's like, you know, she moved out here because it'd been easier to run the foundation from via phone call in California or in person here. Um, we're now like Zoom call here. And that's what kind of makes it sad is like the outside of the football of what it's done for all of us. Like we, we again, I love it. I love it here. The team is something I'm not sad to say goodbye to, um, to be honest. Uh, I don't blame you. Because yeah, I want I wouldn't make and I want Zach to send me, I want Zach to buy a house in Hawaii one day so we can all go. <laughs> you're going to be a lawyer. You're going to have your own money, Nick. Uh, well, you're my, a lawyer, fiance, doctor. You guys, yeah, you'll, you'll, be, guys you'll, you'll be the breadwinner. I'll be, <laughs> uh, I don't know what I'll do, but she'll be fine. Yeah. All right. Well, we're coming to the end of our episode. So, so Nick, thank you so, so, so much for, for taking some time to join us today. And obviously, you know, we, we, we know, and unfortunately we all kind of know that Zach probably won't be back next year, but he will go down as, as the best tight end in Eagles history. We'll um, miss you guys for sure. Yeah. We'll, yeah. we'll miss him we'll, on the field. Touch. Yeah. We'll, we'll do social we'll do media. We so <laughs> social media is a wonderful, wonderful thing for, <laughs> for that reason. But thank you again for listening to episode 58 of babes on broad. Thank you as always to SB nation and bleeding green nation. Make sure you're paying attention to our Twitter polls for our Sixers pregame show for next week. We will talk to you later. <laughs>